Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. All right. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. And today we have with us Natalie Gallette. If I said that wrong, you correct me, please, Natalie. (laughs) She's a customer lifecycle and growth marketing at Perceptics, the president of the Black Marketers Association of America and market trailblazer finalist for the Customer X Impact Awards. If that is not a mouthful, kudos to you, (laughs) Natalie, for all of these accolades. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for joining me on the show. We have a lot to talk about across the board with B2B marketing, and I'm excited to dive in. I'm excited as well. Let's get started. So first question I love to ask my guests is how did you get started in B2B marketing? What did your career path look like? So maybe a lot of people know this, maybe they don't. I actually was pre-law in undergrad and I was a paralegal. So I switched careers. Um, I want to go into marketing and I have this genius idea to go get an MBA and that's how I'm going to get into marketing. And so that's what I did. And I don't advise that for anyone because usually an MBA is there for people who have some years of experience. But my program was great. It was a global MBA program and I knew I wanted to do marketing and I applied for roles, but it was very hard for me. And so while I graduated, I moved back to Atlanta, my hometown. That's currently where I am now. I still live here. And when I was interviewing and I was applying for jobs, I stumbled upon a software as a service company at the time in B2B, and they had a customer marketing social media focused role. And I said, oh, this looks interesting. Let me apply. (laughs) My first time, I think, applying on LinkedIn. And I got the role and I just really started there. And so I've only done B2B marketing since. I do not understand the world of B2C marketing. I know B2C marketers. It's pretty confusing how they operate to me, but Mm -hmm. I will say sometimes they give me extra kudos because they say, you know more about marketing than us because brand managers, we really do a lot of project management, but we don't know how to do email campaigns or growth campaigns or anything of that nature. So it's a wonderful place, B2C marketing, but I don't personally know it as well. And so I got into B2B and I just kind of stayed there, but I didn't only just do SaaS. I've done manufacturing, consulting. I've done quite a few different industries at this point. And so I will say my career kind of, I don't want to say I fell into it, but I didn't really know the world of B2B marketing. I didn't understand SaaS until I got that first role. And then I re-entered B2B SaaS in 2020 when I went back to customer marketing. Mm, cool. And it's so funny that you're saying your friends that are in B2C, how they say that. I never really thought about that, but it's probably even more siloed, right? In the B2C world where you're very focused on one piece of the marketing puzzle. They say that. And I think because I talked to so many brand managers, 
they focus on managing the brand. So they're not doing the pieces that we're doing. They're not thinking about social media strategy. They're not thinking about pitch decks and sales enablement content. They're not thinking about writing blogs and customer stories. They're thinking about, okay, this is the budget. This is what needs to happen. How do we put these pieces together? And I think about that, but I also am putting some of those pieces together myself. Like sometimes I'm creating the content. So they're just like, yeah, you know more than I do. And I'm like, if you say so. (laughs) Yeah. And curious, you mentioned, so going back for your MBA, and if you could do it over, would you still go back? You would just do it after you got into marketing for a couple of years or what would you change? Oh, that's a great question because I do feel like the reason why I was able to get into marketing was because I got an MBA. And at the time I didn't know what I knew now. And so if I knew then what I know now, I probably would have still gotten an MBA, but I probably would have done another program that I now am aware of. I mm. probably would have really sought out more resources, maybe, maybe took a little bit more time. I was very rush, 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 go, go, go. Um, I got to get out yeah. of this paralegal conundrum before I'm too deep in my career. Like I literally was that yeah. person like, oh my gosh, I have yeah. to do it right away. So I definitely yeah. would do it again. And mind you, I went back in 2013 to school, which doesn't seem, well, it was 10 years ago, like I said. So it doesn't seem like it was a long time, but things changed a lot since 2013. So if I was back in 2013, I probably still would have done it because I don't want to go to school now at all. I've been out so long. Yeah. But I do also think I would have done more resources to be more successful in my programs, for sure. Yeah, that's true. I remember when I graduated from with my MBA, too, and I was like, I'm done. Never going back to school again. But then there's the other there's other people, right, that are like continuous. I mean, I I do consider myself a continuous learner. Yes. School is very different, right? When you're like paying for a degree and there's exams, it's so different. (laughs) The pressure. Oh my God. It's so long. Yes. Like you have to, or like when you get your MBA and you're doing all of these projects and things and don't get me wrong. I won't say I will never go back, but when I say I don't go back right now, if I go back right now, it's because I'm either, this sounds terrible, but I got bored and I was like, I just want to go get another degree. And I'm sure my family would go, what are you doing? Like, why? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. And it's like, you have plenty to do. Why are you going back to get a degree? Don't be weird. So that would be the <laughs> way. If you saw that, you you can see if I ever update my LinkedIn and you see, oh, she's going to get a degree. She must be bored. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though, because a lot of people do things that are not so productive when they're bored. Right. And instead you go and get a new degree. <laughs> I'm just going to get another degree. Why not? Life pivot. Life pivot time. I love that. So curious. I wanted to know. I saw this in your title, but a life cycle marketing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know at B2C companies, this means one thing and B2B companies, it's slightly different. I'm curious how you define or what you consider lifecycle marketing and what it controls or owns. Absolutely. So lifecycle marketing, I want to make sure we discuss customer lifecycle marketing because lifecycle marketing from a new business standpoint is a little bit different. Mm. And I don't quite understand it as much. 
From a customer standpoint, when a customer is now a customer, instead of a prospect, they convert over to being a customer. What does that look like for them? What is their onboarding look like from a marketing standpoint? Are you giving them a welcome email with the trip campaign, which I've done in the past before? Once they are done, do you just go ahead and put them in to get a monthly newsletter? What type of newsletter is it? Is it product adoption, which I've done and have at several companies at this point? Is it customer engagement? What does that look like? What type of events do you give people? And if you are a really mature organization in terms of your customer lifecycle strategy, then you have different customers go to different types of events online and in person. You have them receiving different communications and you can really create a full-blown strategy of what type of marketing you wanna do towards your customers. How do you know when they're gonna be move from a customer to a fan, to an advocate or however you mm-hmm. like to do that. So you could do advocate marketing. If you say it's time for a customer to renew, like what is that process look like and what is that life cycle of that customer if they fall out and they decide to go to a competitor how do you win them back because that's still a part of their life cycle because that'll be a part of their customer journey so working closely with the customer experience teams that means your customer success teams that means your support teams that means all of that group your training teams as well as your marketing which focuses also on new business so you all can create a seamless experience for the customer especially from a marketing standpoint because nine times out of ten or ninety percent of the time your customer is going going to see marketing's input before they see anyone else's. And even if they see all these other people, they're just going to remember the marketing campaigns. If you are a good marketer, of course, and they're going to blame the marketing team. And in <laughs> most cases, the idea for lifecycle marketing is to create a strategy in which your customer receives certain marketing and communication tactics that are efficient for them and help with their experience, as well as for your company to be successful with maintaining or growing the customer. That's the summary, Mm -hmm. the last part. (laughs) Love it. So it really customer lifecycle marketing, customer marketing involves every aspect of the company, even beyond marketing, right? So it's CS, support, sales, demand gen, product. Yes, so much product. So everything. So do you kind of see customer lifecycle marketing or customer marketing as the glue that connects all of these units? Probably. I think that customer marketers tend to be some of your most talented employees, but I think that because I think when I talk to customer marketers, they tend to have to know every part of the business. They have to know, like in many cases, I remember when I was a customer marketer at a company, a financial services company, I reported to customer experience, but I also had a dotted line to marketing. So I had to give them their sales yeah. enablement content, which meant customer created content. I had to work with the support team and I had to make sure that I, anytime there was something that they needed out to the customers, I had to work with the product team. So when they wanted the product roadmap out there to the customers or the customer advisory board, I would say, yes, you have to be very well knowledgeable of all those things. If you want to be successful, if you want those metrics to work well, you're going to have to pretty much know the whole business. Because if you don't know the business, you're not doing a good service to your customers. So what are you doing truly? Because you have you have a customer centric model. Sometimes you have to be, like you said, the glue. You have to be the one because in some cases, when you're personalizing communications, you're the face. 
And because you're the face, they're going to say, well, this is the only one. This is the email I got most recently. This is the only consistent person. Customer success managers and SaaS companies change every so often. You know, they go mm-hmm. from an SDR to an account executive. Then when they convert, they go to a customer success manager. And so if the, all those people change, but this person they've been talking to from the beginning is consistent, that is something that they're going to reach out to. So sometimes you have to fill out those comms and they can say, hey, you know, Natalie, I know that you're not my customer success manager, but can you remind me who that is? Can you tell me who can handle this? How do I get to support? Yeah. You are going to be the glue, essentially, because you are going to be sometimes the front man whether you want to or not so yes that was a long yeah. answer to say yes we are sometimes yeah the- <laughs> i love it though so how did you get into the glue tell me how did i saw i believe tell me if i'm wrong glue. but i think in linkedin stalking i saw your career has gone and you've also been at some great companies HubSpot. Yes. i mean that's amazing <laughs> so how has your career changed and pivoted along the way within marketing to come into customer marketing and beyond Sure. So I started in customer marketing and social media marketing and the social media marketing I did was not typical lead generation social media marketing. It was from a customer engagement tool, but it would allow our customers to advocate the things that we talk about. And I did advocate marketing there. And after I did that job or while I was doing the job, I got recruited to do corporate communications because I had done corporate communications at another Fortune 500 company. I missed it a lot. And I went straight into content management in the manufacturing industry. That taught me a lot about acquisition marketing, taught mm. me a lot about brand consistency. I did a global rebrand. I don't advise it. You lose a lot cool. of hours of sleep. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And then I got recruited because I really wanted to go back into marketing and not be a comms professional, which is very different. Um, I got recruited to go to a consulting company. Um, I went to that consulting company and do content marketing there. And that role started to transition to a comms role. And I said, wait, 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 I don't want to go back to comms. I don't want to sit and write all day. I love comms professionals. That's not my forte. Transition mm-hmm. back out to customer marketing in SaaS again. And that was the whole gamut from creating case studies in that role, coming up with the drip campaign that I mentioned for new customers, coming up with the newsletters for customers, doing events, doing customer advisory board. After that was recruited to go to HubSpot to focus on just advocacy marketing. So not even doing the whole life cycle aspect of it. Like how do I get customers to do all these different pieces of content? How do I get more out of it? And then that's when I ended at Perceptics and doing customer life cycle and growth. And so through my career, I can say that the beauty of my career is, is so diverse to where, yes, I've done a lot of customer marketing and it's high in demand, especially when the when the recession or when the economy goes bad, customer markets are in high demand every single time. But yeah. I do have a lot of different skills that are transferable, that are really, really useful. And I think that's the one thing I adore about working in marketing is that you can do so many different things and you can get so many different skills. Yeah. I'm curious. You've mentioned advocacy marketing and I love this because I, I think I first learned about raving fans and advocates running this podcast um, from Leela Gill, one of my early, earlier guests. She's wonderful. I recommend you follow Leela Gill and Asha May in the customer marketing side. Great women. But advocacy marketing, what goals are you tracking with advocacy marketing? What kind of metrics matter to you? We can always start with the simple metrics. I mean, a lot of cases sometimes is how many case studies can you get? Because that's what every marketer wants. Mm. We want a case study. Why? And salesperson. (laughs) 
every salesperson, <laughs> literally every salesperson times two, like they, they uh-huh. ask you for case studies, like it's three of them sometimes. And it's like, yeah, uh-huh. asked me for three other case studies two hours ago. So I don't yeah. know what's happening, but so number of case studies is a metric. However, one of the things we measured at HubSpot was influence recurring revenue. So that was really important. We would measure I'm trying to think how much more we would do. We definitely do influence recurring revenue. If we would do like, we would have customers come and present at our um, conference inbound. And so when you manage that, how many people showed up, how many people are ranking it, what were the ranks for it? If we would have customers involved with webinars and they would lead those webinars, we would say how many people showed up, what was the comments for, what was the engagement? We would put customers in a lot of places and we would look to see how many people are using that. And so I think those are some of the metrics we would use. It was a lot of metrics to use and see. Mm -hmm. And so we would look, those are the top ones I would say. You can always look at how many people are looking at your customer newsletters, how many are being involved and engaged and how many customers, I guess, are, as far as that advocacy, how many referrals are they doing? How many online Mm -hmm. reviews are they doing? Like you can do so many different metrics per se to look at what's successful I would say we started the program I ran for advocate marketing it was brand new so it matured over a couple years and so in that program we went from basically building the requirements to be a part of this program for certain customers to do these nice activities or advocacy activities for 12 months and we would figure out what the metrics are going to be. And so it's, I w- yeah. want to say it's a little bit more mature in the way it was developed now, but I know a lot of organizations are not as mature in that aspect. And so sometimes yeah. people look at partner marketing. So that's something else. Fun fact, some customer marketers, if they work in a mature organization, they work with the partner marketers. And so partner marketing sometimes is also a way you can measure advocacy. How much Mm -hmm. are your partners advocating for you? And a lot of instances, partners get that feedback. So they're advocate all day. Um, And so you could work with that. How many of them represent the customer? I could go on and on all day with metrics for advocate marketing, quite frankly. Wow. Yeah. And thinking of partners as your advocates too. I love that. How have you identified who your advocates are? What are some indicators you look for? Do you look for interesting stories and examples to put on stage or what are you looking for? We talked about life cycle marketing before. And so if I'm thinking about most of the organizations I worked at, so I'm going to exclude HubSpot in this instance because it's a different model. But in most organizations, when we're looking at how we find advocates, we look at that life cycle of a customer. When did they go from being a new customer to someone who is not only, well, before I get to a fan, but basically a super user of the product to a fan of the product to then an advocate of the product. And the reason why I say that is because most of the time, if your customer adopts your product, they're more likely to yell from the rooftops that they love your product. If they don't really use your product, they most likely are not going to buy other parts of the product and they're not going to tell other people to buy the product. Mm. Just be honest. So I tend to say those customers who are using the product and they're using it well, 
in a way that we as a company have decided that we want them to use it. Like they really understand the mission. They're very aligned with who we are and what they should be doing. Then we usually say, okay, is this someone that we can reach out to, to be an advocate for us? That's a question we ask. And there are in a lot of instances, it's not just one customer. It's usually more than one customer. And it sounds super simple, but I would say that all you have to do in a lot of cases is talk to your customer success managers. Who do they get on the phone regularly? How many times? Look at the CSAT score. Are they ranked red, yellow, or green? If they're green and they've been green for a long time, why are they green? You know, what? what is yeah. their NPS scores that they ranked if they participated in it? Looking at the amount of engagement that a customer has can kind of tell you if they're going to be an advocate or not to the point where I'm going, you know what? I may be able to get an advocate from them. And nine times out of 10, if this all, everything is a go, then yeah, they're a great advocate. Now, HubSpot, different model. They have fans, literally HubSpot fans. And they will tell you online that they love HubSpot. They will go in the comments, go after people who are attacking HubSpot. And we're like, okay, they're clearly our advocates. Whether we hone in and use them or not, they're going to love us. And so we had to figure out, quite frankly, how do you want to work with these advocates? Um, We have different advocate programs. We have advocate programs for individuals. We have advocate programs for companies that want their brand to be affiliated with HubSpot. It's a very mature model to where I remember yeah. when we worked on the team. It was about five of us that just focused on advocacy and customer marketing because it was, again, it was so complex because it was a fan because of the brand that was built. Yeah. And there's so many. It's such a good problem to have, right? <laughs> there's too many advocates. How do we get organized? <laughs> exactly. It's a wonderful challenge to have, to say the least. Mm-hmm. I know that we talked about this a little bit before, but but again, now at the end of the day, customer marketing and marketing overall largely comes down to revenue, Can right? So one thing I wanted to ask about from your perspective, what do you see that's working today to drive growth or to drive revenue or demand? Oh my goodness. So first, I obviously love Tesla. I think they're a leader in marketing. They're really good at it. I think they started with product-led growth and they started with inbound marketing and then it went to customer-centric marketing and they're on a big community-led marketing like type strategy yes. that they announced last year inbound because um, I was there because I worked there. And so I would say community-led growth is super important because that is going to be, if I'm being completely honest, how you're going to continue to get new customers. It's kind of like the new way of reading reviews. A lot of people won't go through yes. some reviews. But what usually gets people to buy, especially in B2B marketing, is going to be that community growth. And I think that's the same thing that happens in B2C. But B2C marketers, if you're listening, please don't yell at me. I told you I don't know B2C marketing very well. So I think community-led marketing works a lot. I will say inbound marketing still works because while there is a high demand for video and fun fact, we say this all the time as a joke at work. We say everyone wants videos, but no one wants to be in a video. So everyone wants to see someone in the video. But if I ask them to be in a video, no, no, I don't want to do it. And I'm going, wait, but you want a video. So while video is high in demand and it's working quite a bit, one of the things that you still can't underestimate is the power of creating a blog, creating written content, 
for people to show up in your Google search results and to go from there. I think it's going to be really important to make sure you still have your traditional case studies when you can have your video yeah. case studies if you can to supplement your written case study, of course, not to replace it. Yes. So inbound marketing is still going to be amazing amazing resource and tool for you. Community led is going to be great because you got to have those reviews. So you're going to need those reviews. And quite frankly, that is something I think that lead generation demand generation looks for are those content pieces. And by content, you know, events are now becoming more content. And if you even notice some of what is happening that I adore, and I've said this in another podcast I've recorded, is I'm loving how B2B marketers are really looking into the advertising space. Fun fact, HubSpot did invest in some commercial space before, which is really cool. I know Salesforce did one for the Super Bowl at some point. And Ah. I'm starting to see Monday.com with billboards, even in Atlanta, which is kind of interesting. So I'm starting to see a lot of that happening, but that all goes into content. So community and content, be it written, video, Content is going to always be king and it's always going to work, be it customer um, content. It's just the way we evolve our content strategies over time. Yes. And then I think the queen is distribution and she runs everything because if you create the content and it doesn't get distributed, it's pretty much a wash. (laughs) I love that. I've heard that, you know, content is king and I've heard that it's all about distribution. There's another podcast, Justin Simon runs that's distribution first. So good. Oh my gosh. I'm but I love how you phrased it. Where well, someone content said to is me, king, but distribution is king, is queen, and she runs everything. Yes, she I wears the pants. Yes. what I was talking about. <laughs> content is king, and distribution is queen, and she wears the pants. And I said, oh, I'm going to steal that. I think I heard it at one of the conferences I went to in 2019. I think it was Content Marketing World is where I heard it. Love that. Because it's so true. We, I think as marketers, we get on the hamster wheel a lot, right? With content and we create, 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 create. And we're like, why is nobody coming? If you build it, they will come. But no, it's like, no, you have we to tell don't. Them it's built. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to, yeah, distribution, getting it out there. That's probably the hardest part. I mean, content creation is hard in and of itself, but the distribution and getting that specific content piece in front of the audience that cares about it and that will benefit from it is so hard. And I think that's why community marketing is going to be really important because Mm -hmm. when you have a community of people that you can distribute your content to, it's a new way of an email list. Email is just, it's not dead. Don't get me wrong. Some people are like, I'm going to pull away from email. I'm like, nope. I said, it's very overwhelming. I get a million emails a day from people who are trying to sell me product, not sell me product, all these different things. So it's still important to use email, but it's how you're going to connect with people. And if you have a community, they know it's a person, not just a salesperson. There's some type of relationship there. There's some type of Mm -hmm. what people feel like, oh, there's a relationship where you're giving me something and I'm receiving something. I'm giving you something there. It's more of a transactional relationship versus a one way street. Yeah. And I love what you mentioned where community led growth is kind of the new place people go to for reviews, right? Instead of reading through written reviews or and supplementing that it, yeah. people are just going people are getting like we're we're more and more impatient right yeah. so instead of going through reading through a million reviews which i used to do all the time i was a big yelp addict oh my god and now i just ask people i'm like okay what do you think of this what do you think of that okay and then i make a decision so off of yes. fewer data points yes. but more close to me like i i think too some people tend to look at it like 
I will go and do all of that, but I need that one extra step to really push me over the edge. I will go look at the reviews. Okay, it's ranked overall 4.8. I just want to see the most recent ones. I'll look at maybe five to 10 of them at most, which is why it's important yes. to go ahead and get those reviews consistently. So you can't can't sleep up on the reviews because if I see no one has left your review in two years, I'm going, uh-oh, something doesn't seem right. So I want to mm-hmm. see a review That's that was true. recent, right? So you still have to do reviews. I think, unfortunately for marketers, it's just one more thing you have to do. And that's why I'm also seeing a lot of director of community coming out, roles coming out, a lot of people who need to manage a community. And so I'm seeing a big shift in how the marketing teams are structured. Customer marketing is now going on to product marketing, which is very interesting to see that shift. It used to be by itself. I've seen it go to product marketing. I've seen it go to dimension. I've seen it come back out. I've seen it go back to product marketing. And then I see community marketing sitting under customer marketing, but then I see it separate. And then I see it sometimes sitting on the voice of the customer team. It's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. From what you just said, do you think that the customer marketing kind of get, doesn't get the respect it deserves? It does not. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so sad about it. I feel like customer marketers can be some of your best marketers in your organization because customer marketing, one of the soft skills, I guess it's a soft skill that you have to have is really listening to people. You have to empathize and understand where they're coming from. You have to make strategic decisions based off of things that you're told. And if you have a really great customer marketer, they can be your leaders of your department because they know how to listen to qualitative and quantitative data versus I think in some aspects, some marketers, they are very quantitative, which is great. I love data. I love quantitative data, but that qualitative data is what is the game changer that customer marketers yeah. bring, I think. And yes, I'm a little biased because half of my marketing career was in customer marketing or is in customer marketing. Yeah. However, yeah. I think that's why I was able to do content marketing at one point. And that's how, like, if I go to, you know, my next role, it may not be just customer marketing because I can do multiple things and I'm not just a customer marketer. I have done email marketing because I've had to for customers because they needed a customer marketer, but the email marketer was just doing, you know, new potential customers or prospects in her email. She was only addressing that. I had to create a newsletter for them. I had to think about that strategy. I had to think about what they want to know. So I do think that customer marketers should get a little bit more love. Um, And I do think that they should be your next leaders. I know I've seen a lot of articles saying your social media marketers are your new CMOs or your next CMOs. And I don't disagree with that. What I'm saying is, is that you find a good customer marketer like myself who has done customer marketing and social media marketing and digital marketing. Yeah. And you have someone who understands the full life cycle because they have to, to do their job well. Yeah. That's so interesting. I always have respect for customer marketers, but... I never thought of, it's like a focused generalist role, mm-hmm. right? So you're kind of the best of both worlds yep. in this role. Like you know how to focus and you have to know a lot about each one, but you, you can really do, do it all at the same yep. time. Absolutely. So interesting. I'm going to think about that more. <laughs> and life cycle, Mark, there's just so many layers to it's it. And you really so have to dabble in every aspect. Really do. So true. And at the end of the day, it's still focused on revenue. So you're still, Absolutely. you're trying to nurture I'm these, work. retain I'm trying to retain. I mean, yep. Yes. Retain the revenue. I'm trying to get more revenue from customers. So when your CEO decides that these are our revenue goals, they're assuming they're going to retain their marketer. I'm sorry, retain their customers. 
And so yeah. when they're thinking about retaining the customers, who's also in that room or should be in the room or your customer marketers who are going to make sure like, hey, sales is getting a lot, but we need a little extra push. It's sometimes easier to sell to your current customers than it is to new customers because they're already bought in. If they love you nine times out of 10, they're going to buy more from you and say, great, this is awesome. Let's add more to the budget. And then how do you get them to then become advocates to convince more people to buy more of your product? Yeah. Like think about yeah. all of that success you have in that one area. I feel like I say this word way too much on this podcast. So listeners <laughs> call me out and DM me if I do and I need to stop. Maybe we make it a drinking game. Every time Ooh. I say flywheel, take a shot. Oh <laughs> my gosh, flywheel. It's kind of a flywheel effect <laughs> yeah. though. Like we're customer marketing, right? Because you're you're retaining, you're growing. And at the same time, by you retaining and growing this customer base, you're making building and creating advocates sure. which retain and grow and grow further and yeah. further and it keeps expanding mm -hmm. oh my and you know what i'm not mad if you say flywheel i just don't get husband that's all we talked about was the flywheel so <laughs> <Do> <laughs> <talk> me <laughs> used to hearing nothing but flywheel nothing but flywheel so that word is not even something that makes me go oh my gosh you said flywheel <laughs> <laughs> so oh, funny i just feel like it comes up so much now yeah i didn't even realize top of the vocabulary list at hubspot good to know <laughs> So we talked about what's working and I love that you brought up the community led growth and things like that. On the flip side, what do you think is overrated or is not working anymore? Oh my gosh, these in-person events are driving me insane. If I could be honest, like Susha said, I was like, oh yeah. my gosh. We spend so much money as marketers. And I say this not yeah. just a corporate marketer, but even with Black Marketers Association of America, which I will refer yeah. to as BMAA for short from now on. But even with BMAA, I spend so much money and I'm like, this is great. We get a few people that love it and we get a couple sponsorships here or there, but that's not what's converting my partners to become partners and fulfill the mission. That's not what I'm converting customers. to. I'm not converting members from that. I'm just giving them something nice, but it's like, yeah, no, like this is something that I don't foresee. And I want to say a lot of it has to do with the pandemic. People want to get back outside, yeah. but when people go outside, they do not want to like, think about it when you, it's time for people to go outside. They don't want to go and work. They want to have fun. They like, why do you That's think people true. don't want to do return to office? People want to do work life balance. If I have to travel for work, I'm literally working. Now BMA is different because it's my org and I just go and I just like, you know what? I have to do the things I have to do but i'm gonna have fun because it's on my die but yeah you know traveling for work i literally i remember when i went to inbound it was a lot of work a lot of yeah. walking and i lived it i not lived i stayed in a further hotel so when i went back to my hotel i was done for the day but that also meant i couldn't go and decompress and fun fact i do not get energy from people i lose energy from people which is the true definition of yeah. introvert not that yeah. you're not talkative, it's just you you get drained. So I was getting yeah. drained from being around thousands of people all day and barely sitting down for nine, 10 hours a day for five days in a row. It yeah. was a lot. Like, it's a lot. Yeah. And I really think that the way events are handled are going to have to be done differently. I think mm -hmm. what some people are going to have to do are meet people where they are. 
partnerships is going to be really, really huge. Partnering with other organizations and working with them. A lot of times now people, speakers have gotten to a space that they want to get paid for what they do. And when they speak, a lot of speakers don't want to do PowerPoints anymore from my experience and have a fireside chat, which doesn't bring their audience as much value. I think it's so oversaturated and I know some people really love it. But in my career, after having gone and I can always kind of say this and I say this with much love. I can tell a new marketer when they're like, I want to go. And I'm going, you must be a new marketer because if yeah. you, <laughs> you probably will go. They're okay. They're great. But you're going to have so much to get ready for that event, especially yeah. even if you're going as an attendee. You got to pick out what sessions you're going to go to. Strategically go to those sessions. You're going to network before during and after those sessions. So you're having a 10 hour day. You're going to have to come back and tell people about the notes on the session. Then you're going to have to implement something from the session, especially if your company's paying for it. So you can justify the expense. Yeah. I'm tired just talking about it. Yes. <laughs> it's so true. It's like a full-time, it becomes your full-time job prepping for the event, even as an attendee. And it's a lot of money. And even yeah. when I'm thinking about it, I'm slowly starting to see, and I've had a couple conversations with a couple couple companies and we're talking about events. You know what they said? Are you doing it virtual? We prefer virtual. And I'm going, really? And as much as people want to be in person, I think people yeah. are starting to realize that, you know what, it's just not gonna work if you're doing that. And that's why I also think, I only see people wanting to do it if they're getting out of the office. And with RTO or return to office happening, I can see why people want to do conferences so they can avoid the office. But quite mm. frankly, as a market, I don't see the events turning. Events before the pandemic, from my experience, just my yeah. experience, were not really turning the investment like we thought it was. We will be lucky if we got 30% of the leads or 30% of the costs recuperated that same year. It would take us a long time to convert. So it was really just an investment really going down the drain. I have a feeling that number dropped significantly after the pandemic. In my experience, it has dropped to maybe 10, 20%, give or take or so. And I think yeah. a lot of that is because not only of the market of what's going on, but also really sitting down and saying, you know what, we're just not converting people because people are coming here with different types of, how do I say this kindly? with different goals, different motives. Like I'm here to have yeah. a good time. I'm here to catch up with people. I'm not really here to, to do the business. And if I am, I already kind of did that legwork from the beginning. I'm not gonna close the deal here. I'll close it when I'm back where I've connected. And so that's what people are doing. Yeah. Understanding that your your question was, what do I think is not working was over exaggerated. I, as you can see, events are clearly <laughs> something I really think strongly yeah. of. Yeah, you've raised many really good points here is that when people, especially post-pandemic, you're so right. People are excited to go to these events, but it's to network and to see each other, right? Not so much to check out who's sponsoring the show and who's at the booths and stuff like that. So I wonder, I feel like these shows have gotten a resurgence lately, right? Like so many people want to go and attend, but to sponsor it, it's kind of, I think I've, from various marketers I've spoken to, no one really wants to sponsor the show because they're not getting a return from having a booth unless you have the big bucks to be able to sponsor Absolutely. a session and you're speaking on the session. 
But even then, I'm hearing some people say they go to the conference, they don't even attend the sessions. Mm -hmm. I'm a nerd, so I do. I'm all about the sessions, but (laughs) but many are not. So it's interesting, like how people want these shows, they want the events, but how are they going to be paid for if the sponsorships all drop out because they're not seeing the ROI? Exactly. That's something that I think about too, because I go to the sessions as well, but I'm not going to lie. Like I will get into a couple of sessions. I'll really be into it. And then next thing I know what will happen is even though I'm out of the office, the office still has a lot of work to do. So what happens? Open the laptop. And while I'm in the session, I'm now distracted because I'm either doing work or I'm putting out fires. I'm answering emails. So I don't have hundreds of emails bombarding me when I get back. And, you know, I've had a coworker tell me like, if I'm out of the office and they send me an email and I don't get to it, I don't stress over it. If it's important, they'll hit me back. And I said, I aspire to get to that level of, okay, it'll be fine. I'm not there yet. So say that confidently. But to your point, yeah, yeah, some people don't go to the sessions because again, they're there to socialize and sponsors are not getting their investment. And I think what is happening is you will see more small, medium businesses doing this because they're really trying to hustle and get out there. But that's why I said that community is going to be important because what's going to happen is and you probably see this too. And see, this is why I say customer marketers, you get the right ones. And I know plenty of them that are great. They know a lot. I look at and I say, look at your brand. So this down goes to brand marketing. If you look at any large brand, let's look at Jeff Bezos and Amazon. Who doesn't want to do that, right? <laughs> Jeff Bezos has more fly. I know I said this jokingly, but he has more followers on every platform than Amazon itself. Always mm-hmm. look at Mark Zuckerberg and Meta or Facebook or whatever they're calling themselves. Who knows? Everyone's mm-hmm. changing everything nowadays. Mm-hmm. Any platform, he's going to have more followers because people are more interested in buying from people. Hence why you have community led growth. Hence why you have online reviews. Hence why you have advocacy. Hence why you have referrals. Hence why all of that is so important because people want to buy from people that they deem that they can trust because mm-hmm. they want to like they're guaranteed what they buy because no one wants to spend money and feel like they wasted their money. Let's just be real. That goes across the board. This is basic human instinct. And so people will go to a conference, but if they don't know someone, they don't have a relationship, then no, they're not going to go to that booth. They're not going to do that. The only reason why a lot of small, medium businesses are doing that because they're trying to build a brand. And so I even say that not just from a company perspective, for my corporate life or BMAA, how am I growing yeah. it? Because I no longer have more followers than BMA. So that's good to see that shift. But nice. most of the people that I know and connect are black marketers and they know me. And so they invest in BMA because of the relationship they have with me, not just because of the mission that ends up being a bonus. And so that's how it works with any company, regardless if it's community centric like BMA, regardless if it's a software as a service company like I work for, that's just human nature. And how yeah. apply human nature to business is something that's so fascinating. And that's why I love marketing because it's truly an art and a science to it. And you have to be able to marry the two if you want to be efficient and successful. Well, speaking of events, I feel like you need to be on stage because I, <laughs> I feel like you just <laughs> shared so much and so, well, so passionate about it that it comes through and it gets you like, yeah, like either excited or ramped up or anti-event. You're like, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> oh, no. Go to your events, people. Please go to your events. Don't not go and go to the sessions and get something out of it. Just I just don't. I just marketers, let's spend our money better. 
Yeah, it's just right for disruption. It's another area. You're right that just it's going to be disrupted next. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I want to make sure we spend time on BMAA. BMAA also, mm-hmm. I keep tripping up my words. So did you start this organization? Is I did. It Kudos. I did not even realize that. That's amazing. When did you start and why? Tell us a little story about it. May 2017 is when it started. I started it because, like I said, I started my marketing career in 2013 when I went and got my MBA and said, I'm done with this. I'm getting out of paralegal if it kills me. I'm getting out. Yeah. And I was looking to network with people. And as we all know, as we are in the post-racial world, (laughs) gosh, things are crazy. But it's really important to find, again, that community of people that you work with. And I've joined different organizations and all of them kind of miss something. So I was looking for a black marketing org, one, because I wanted people who understood and had a passion and a desire for marketing like myself, but people who look like me. So I felt comfortable when I asked certain questions. There are just certain things. I grew up to be transparent in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, and I went to a public school and there were certain things even I still don't know now. I have a friend of mine who, a sorority sister, she pleasure with me and she works in HR for Accenture. And she basically was telling me certain things now. And she's just like, yeah, I didn't know these things either growing up. I said, I didn't know either. I didn't understand what it means to lay off or to negotiate. I said, my family, most of them work in the government, like for the the county or for the state or something. So when you say negotiate a job offer, I'm looking like, why would I negotiate? This makes no sense. This is out of the culture. But that's something where you have the safe space where some people who may not look like me, they're like, why would you not negotiate? And they're looking at me funny. And so I wanted that safe space for myself. So selfishly, I started for me, but I tell people the funny part is I was networking and my friends being my friends. So if I seem rambunctious and full of energy, you should meet my friends. Um, energy and they were like I don't know why you keep whining about it they didn't say it in those exact words but they're just kind of like if you don't start your own org and stop talking to us about it we'd appreciate it so (laughs) me being me I said fine I'll just do it myself and they said good that's what we've been asking you to do and so in May 2017 I started there's an app called GroupMe Um, I started the GroupMe group and just said hey guys we're just gonna help each other out my goal was to help one person just one person in marketing to get a job. And I oh, thought I was going to actually shut the group down. Yeah. Like I, I really thought I was going to shut the group down. People said, why don't we shut it down? We're really just getting started, started a Instagram, everything. And then I dropped the website in like, I want to say I started the website earlier, but it really didn't launch to August of 2020, right around when Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter happened. It was a pandemic, all of that time frame. And then we get our first partner, which is DoorDash, who's working with us to hire people. They've hired several marketers at the time, Depot, Southwest Airlines, household names that we work with. And we work with different types of companies and orgs, to say the least, to help empower, elevate, and educate Black marketers. That's our mission. You you forget everything else about BMA, empower, elevate, and educate. And that is on our website, blackmarketers.org. And I love it. I love it to say the least. It is very tireless to have to work full time and to do BMA. Yes, I can imagine. It's pretty tiring. But I will say, speaking of events, I'm talking about it's oversaturating. Yet we did we did several. We did one in Atlanta last year, one in Houston last year. And this year we did two more. We went to L.A. and then we went to the DMV area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. And we held our Shades of Marketing tour, which is really cool. We're going to revamp it. We have one more in Chicago. 
that's coming up, but then we're going to revamp and I'm going to take a break because in-person yeah. events, I just said the passion behind in-person events. So we're going to lean into a yeah. lot of virtual events to see where we can go from there. So yeah, I that's kind of the story. This. So much respect for you for creating this. So it, oh, I, your friends pushed you to do this in a great oh, way. Yeah. <laughs> I love that because they you saw a gap and a need and you filled it. You created something and that's amazing. You're working with such big brands. Do you have like help and a board or people that help you? It's Yeah. Okay, good. We do have some people on the board. Our board changes quite a bit because again, it's not something that right. we do full time. We do it out of the love. And so we do ask for help. I do have an event marketer I work with. I have a photographer, a videographer Amazing. that works with us on our in-person events. We have someone that works with our partnerships. I actually just talked to them several times today. I'm probably going to talk to them again after this call to yeah. have a conversation about partnerships and who we are looking to partner with. One of the biggest things that I tell people is that the requirement is the company must be committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. If they're not, we're not a fit. And so yeah. that's important for them to know that they know that it partnering with us won't solve the entire problem. And it's not really great to just sign up for one year. You probably want to sign up for multiple years so you can see what that happens. And so they want some, some people just want to post jobs on the job board. Totally fine. You can do that right now. It's on our website. We make it super easy. Cause I, yeah. I may be a man, a Loki, like the way I want people to make things. I was like, I don't want to try to look for pricing. I just want it on the site. So there's pricing on the site. I don't yeah. want to have to call someone to make a purchase. So you can do it on the site. So it's very, yeah. pretty simple. I don't want to sit up here and ask you a million questions. So we have FAQs. So we have all of those things. So basically <laughs> it is it's what I want to see. Yeah, it's accessible for mm -hmm. people because that's in part of being equitable and inclusive. I love that. Sounds like you've been done everything super thoughtfully and strategically we to try. help grow. <laughs> Who should reach out to you and or and or just join and where can they do so? What's the if you want to name the website, I'll also link it in in show notes too. Sure. So if you are a recruiter, someone in talent and HR, you're looking for top black marketing talent, if you're looking for entry level, we mostly have mid-level and senior level now because when I started the org, of course, this was six years ago. So I was considered an early career marketer. And I remind yeah. myself of that because when I look at the metrics and I go, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it looks like you have a lot of early career marketers. And I go, wait a minute, that was from 2021 or 2017. And it's been six years. All of those early career marketers like myself are now senior level marketers. Like we have been doing this for at least 10 years at this point. And so yeah. it's like, wow, you know, it's, it's time to really say, okay, you're looking for your directors. You're looking for C-suite execs. We have those in our organization. So you're looking to hire. Now it's time. We actually are really busy in September and October every year because it's the time when people hire. If you are a black marketer, you're interested in joining, no matter what level your career is, Membership is really, really affordable. When I say if you're a student, we work with Howard University at the DMV to do an event with them. Um, we're looking to work with other companies as well as um, nonprofits, staffing agencies, entrepreneurs. How can we serve you? And we also look to work with universities. So 
The website is very easy. Blackmarketers.org. We are on Facebook, nice. LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. We have a YouTube page. There's not a ton on there, but we have one. We have a TikTok as well. Not a ton on there. I'm not Gen Z, so I don't know <laughs> how to use it very well. I'm okay with me admitting that I'm not the best at TikTok, but I enjoy the content created. Yeah. So definitely BMAA, Black Marketers association google it we should pop up but definitely i'm always open to people i have tons of messages on linkedin i have to get back to so i apologize but there are email addresses on our site our website has a lot of information to the point where some people get overwhelmed so get overwhelmed with goodness is what i tell people get overwhelmed with goodness it's a good kind of overwhelm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all about you. it. And kudos again for starting an organi- organization. I can only imagine all that goes into it and for you Go to on. be spearheading it. Kudos. Thank you. Well, Natalie, it's been amazing chatting with you. Can I ask one more question? Do you have time Absolutely. for one more? Okay. Absolutely. And I will put all of this in the show notes. Everyone of can course. have easy access to, but... If you had one thing to say to your early, just starting out in marketing self, one piece of advice that could change it all, what would you say to her? (laughs) Get used to networking now. So I'm dating someone and he says to me, he said, I think you're a talented marketer. And I'm not saying that just because we're dating. And I think you are going to do great work and you do great work currently. The only part that you need to work on is networking. You don't use your network enough. You don't let them know, like, for example, like I'm currently looking for a new role myself. I don't tell people that. He said, you are shy. You're afraid to ask for help, but you love to help people. So younger Natalie, make sure you aren't afraid to reach out and tell your network, hey, I need some help. And if they can't help you, it's okay. Just keep going because at least you reached out and let people know that you need help as well and network your butt off. Keep going. Do start BMAA because it took me a minute to actually start it. (laughs) I had Uh, to be here a bit. So I would tell my younger self, stop putting it off. Go ahead and do it now because BMA yeah. could be a lot further if I started it a lot sooner. So yeah. that's something I would tell myself. But yeah, definitely network, definitely ask for help. Um, then make sure you start BMA sooner. BMA <laughs> 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 sooner. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's amazing. I feel like you're great at networking. I mean, I'm sure he knows you 10 times, a million times better than me, but already, I mean, starting the organization and coming on the show, and hey, you just put it out there. If anybody's hiring, right. demand gen, <laughs> revenue roles, customer marketing, generalist roles, Natalie would be great. So reach out. Where's the best place people can connect with you, Natalie? Well, definitely on LinkedIn. I'm I'm there all day, every day, even when I'm working. I'm there. I don't know why I just got obsessed with LinkedIn some years ago. And to your point, like I definitely love to network and I try to network. I think the biggest piece is not just to myself, but to marketers out there, no matter how old you are, how young you are, ask for help. Ask for help. I know some people do. And sometimes I will not respond, but it's not because I don't want to respond. I may get inundated. Like I think I have four or five unread emails in my my LinkedIn message inbox. And so it just takes me some time. So I always tell people, if you reach out to me, if you're asking for help and I don't respond, feel free to nudge it up. I will then probably respond and say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for nudging. And I appreciate it. I understand like 
you know, we're, we're all a community together. And so let's work together to help each other be great. I love that. I'm a big fan of the nudge also, because everyone's doing a million more things than they should be. Right. Love a nudge. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. It's been a pleasure chatting with you about all things from customer marketing to revenue to creating your own community. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks everyone for listening, for tuning in. Connect with us on LinkedIn. As we just said, we'll put all the links in show notes. And if you like the show, rate it, like it, share it with a friend, DM Natalie, tell her you love the episode. And we'll see you next time. Bye everybody. Bye.